Today we have a very familiar uh, gospel story. We've all heard it before. And yet it's really quite remarkable because in today's story, James and John come up to Jesus with a rather shocking statement. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Did you really hear that? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. How totally opposite this is from the attitude that we need to have in our prayer. Lord, we want to do whatever you ask of us. Jesus responds with great kindness, but he shows in the, the responses all the more amazing when we look back just two verses earlier than our gospel passage today. We have a, the story is snipped a little bit. And we say something rather remarkable because Jesus says to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit upon him, scourge him, and put him to death. But after three days he will rise. So as soon as James and John hear those words, they say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. The attitude is kind of like, yeah, yeah, we know the drill, you know, mocking, spitting, scourging, execution, but we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. What about me? What's in it for me? You know, we might be in the me generation now, but we see that self-centered ambition and the desire for power and privilege is nothing new. James and John wanted it badly. Hearing the whole story also helps us to understand how the first and second readings fit in with today's gospel. The reading from the prophet Isaiah that we just heard sounds like something we should hear during Lent, and in fact it is. It's the beginning of the first reading that we hear every Good Friday. James and John didn't know what they were asking for. They somehow didn't hear the words of Jesus. These apostles, these fishermen, wanted thrones of glory. Instead, they received a different promise, the promise of the cross. The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Yes, he promised them martyrdom. And we know from history that James and John remained faithful to the Savior even till their last breath. And the call he gave that day to those two sons of Zebedee, he gives to us as well, even today. For God's love is not proved by worldly good fortune, by fame and by honor, or by power, but by the cross. The cross, which is the ultimate emblem of shame, but is also the price of glory. For the Son of Man, Jesus says, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. So Jesus left his glorious place in heaven to take on flesh in the womb of the virgin to be born in a poor, to a poor family and laid in a feeding trough in a place where animals were kept. He was rejected by his own people, condemned to death, spat upon, mocked, scourged, crucified, pierced by a lance. 
and laid in another man's tomb. And he did it all for you. He did it for you. He loves you that much. And then there's another aspect to this story as well. Jesus, as well as what we hear in the first two readings today, is not just talking about himself or how much he loves us, but about how we need to respond to that love, how we need to respond to his laying down his life for us. Jesus coming as one of us, his suffering and his death, not only bring us salvation, but provide for us a pattern of the type of life that we are to live as well. For there's more, because we know that Jesus also tells us, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow. James and John didn't want to hear that word, and I suspect we often do not want to hear it either. But how easy it is to misunderstand. Our first reaction might be, oh, that means if I'm a follower of Christ, that means I have to suffer a lot. No, life means you have to suffer a lot. And although it's true that in these days that throughout the world many Christians are brutally persecuted, we do know that suffering is simply a part of the the universal human condition. What Jesus was getting at is this. When we follow him, we don't suffer more, but our suffering has meaning. It is not pointless. Our suffering is not fruitless. When we embrace our cross, we become joined to Christ and in fact become like him. Because Christ, our high priest, our second reading tells us today, is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, for he has been tested in every way. Our Savior, the God-man, knows what it means to suffer, but he has turned his dying into glory, his death into the door to eternal life. How can we not follow him? To take up our cross is to be with Christ, just like Simon of Cyrene bearing the cross with the Lord. Allow your suffering to bring you closer to Christ, to become more and more like him, and then to reach out to others who are suffering. You know, you could explain this over and over again, but some truths are difficult to explain in words, but perhaps can be experienced. I remember so well an Ash Wednesday years ago, No gory details, but I was about to have emergency life-saving surgery. I was in terrible pain and was turning gray. And so Father Tommaso, unexpectedly to me, the pastor in Geneva at the time, suddenly showed up at my bedtime. And on that Ash Wednesday afternoon, I didn't feel the gritty ashes of repentance on my head, but the smooth healing oil of the sacrament of the sick. What I experienced was that the moment of that anointing, my bodily travails were no longer troubling my soul. I felt a closest to Christ that I had never felt before. At that moment, I realized the Lord's command, take up your cross, did not contradict his words, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For the cross of my sufferings became the gentle yoke of Christ. And he was there with me 
for his wounds became mine and mine became his. I was overcome with joy. I grabbed Father Tommaso's hand and kissed it before he left. And it brings up this question. What does following Jesus get you? Well, where is Jesus now? In greater glory than James and John could ever have imagined, ever have dreamed of. Why would we follow anyone else but Christ? Or follow any other path of any other philosophy when only he can lead us to eternal glory.